and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. My calling is basically to be a human dartboard. So we get all the hatred and anger and venom from every angle shot at us, but then it helps us to minister to the people doing the shooting. So we're there. That's calling, to to be a lightning rod. And if you can help us, we have all kinds of open doors in front of us, and we're putting out material. We've got some uh, amazing things that are going to be developed for TV as well, and uh, a lot more going on. And if you stand with us, it's, it's a joint effort. So the other card, the white card, is the one where you can join us today as monthly supporters. So if you're able to stand with us a dollar a day or more per month, you become an official torchbearer, right? So we're, everything is fire with us. Fire's a good word, right? So torchbearer, that's our, our monthly supporters, right? So uh, we send you a new audio message every month. When you sign up, you get a beautiful Tree of Life Bible in my Revolution book. And then there are other free resources. There are different classes you can take for free, other video things you get. Uh, so it's our way of pouring back into you. So if you're able to stand with us, you can do it, uh, you can do it today. That would be awesome. Just take that white card, all the info's on it, uh, become one of our monthly supporters, and we'll pour back into you. Oh, and last thing, last thing, I forgot to mention this. Uh, We didn't ship any books here, but don't worry about it. If you go to our website this weekend, so today up through tomorrow, uh, jot this down, because it's a Hebrew word, shoresh, which means root, S-H-O-R-E-S-H, 2021, as in the year 2021. By the way, you know the prophetic significance of 2021? We survived 2020. That's basically the meaning, significance. Shoresh 2021, when you order anything of any size on the website, we'll, uh, we'll ship it for free because we didn't ship anything here. So this will be just as if we were here. We just when you order, use that code on the way out. We've done that in, in meetings since COVID because you never know how many people are there. So it's just an easier way. So anything you want of any size on the website, just use that code when you're checking out. And I spoke at a Messianic congregation with the Shoresh name, so our brilliant staff came up with that. Um, and they had never heard of Lithia either, so that's, they didn't have that in the code. No, I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. You know, when I first, um, so if you could join with us, that would be awesome. We'd really, really appreciate it. It'd be a great blessing to us. And again, you're, we're in this together. Uh, every day I'm on the radio, every day we're tackling things. If, if we're a controversial voice, you know, there's, uh, you know, talking to the secular media, we're doing it together. So thanks for partnering with us. We, we deeply, deeply appreciate it. When, when God called me to be part of the Pensacola revival, um, I had never been to Pensacola, and I didn't realize that it was, it was a small, an airport, it was uh, one little airport, one terminal, six gates, and that was it. And it was regional. So you couldn't fly in directly except for a few different cities. So you, you had the choice of going uh, Pensacola to, to Atlanta on Delta and then connecting there, Pensacola to Houston on Continental, Pensacola to Charlotte on US Air, and Pensacola to Memphis on Northwest. But that's how you had to go. Any direction you went, you had to start in one of these other cities. So the saying was, if you die in Pensacola, you go to heaven by way of Atlanta. And I thought, isn't, isn't that so interesting that it, God pours out his spirit in this, in this hard to get to place? And, and then a pastor came from Smithton, Missouri, which had a population of like 400-something. He gets dramatically touched, and, and they have an outpouring that lasts for years that, that's gone on with great fruit to this day, moved over to Kansas City ultimately. It's just interesting that, that, that God is often drawn to places that others would ignore or not think about, or you have to make the extra effort to get there, but God does respond to that. So I trust he has a word for us and a deposit we can make. When the service is over, I have to make a, a pretty quick getaway, so we'll, we'll pray in mass together because I've got to fly out uh, shortly after. But let's, let's pray now, and again, thank you for standing with us and supporting our ministry work. Father, we love you. We love you. Lord, you heard the worship of your people. Lord, not trying to impress others, but saying, Lord, we're hungry and thirsty for you. And we want to walk worthy of you. We want to be your people in this hour. 
So give us those ears to hear that we prayed for. Give us a heart to respond. Make a deposit in us that will last until your son returns. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in Acts chapter 2. A simple theme today, back to the basics. Back to the basics. Acts chapter 2. As I was in prayer during the service, I was reminded of a story I heard from charismatic leader of last generation, Jamie Buckingham, well-known author, and he told the story of a major Christian conference in Israel that he had been part of. And the highlight of the conference was going to be Catherine Coleman speaking and ministering in a large venue in Jerusalem that seated thousands of people, and there would be a healing meeting. And many Israelis came curious, wanting to know about the supernatural. Catherine Coleman felt it would be best for her to minister just in English without translation that might have distracted her flow. And anyway, the people didn't understand. Most of the people didn't understand English. They ended up leaving during the meeting. It was supposed to be the pinnacle and high point, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit was there to touch, but whatever happened seemed to be a major disappointment. And he said the meeting then moved over to Tel Aviv, so it was outside of Jerusalem, the holy city. And it moved over to Tel Aviv, and Pat Robertson was speaking, and Jamie Buckingham said it was a long, boring message. And Jamie Buckingham is asking himself, what is going on? What is the purpose of this long and boring message? But then as it went on, he realized that it was preaching about the cross, preaching about the blood of Jesus, preaching about just the basics and the fundamentals of the faith, and not in a powerful preaching mode, but just laying them out, laying them out, laying them out. And suddenly, to everybody's shock, blind people start getting healed. Others start running to the altar, weeping, getting right with God. And he said there was a great lesson. You know, there was the looking for the great miracles and the amazing outpouring through someone that was truly anointed. And in the city of Jerusalem, it didn't happen there. Instead, it happened somewhere else where the fundamentals were preached and it was back to the basics. And that's what God blessed. So we all know the account of Acts 2. It's Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. There have been 120 believers continually in prayer, Acts 1.14 tells us. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's, it's a wild scene. It's a very intense scene. And it is by divine purpose an attention-getting scene. The sound of the wind gets attention. The, the phenomenon of these men speaking in new languages gets attention. And what they see, the tongues of fire, it's, it's very intense. God did not come in, in a quiet, serene way. You know, any more than the alarm that wakes you up in the morning is quiet and serene. That just causes you to sleep on. No, it jars you. It shakes you. It, so, so God was getting attention, and, and, and it drew the crowd. And then everyone praising God in, in these new languages, and, and they, must, they must have been exuberant because Peter talks about what you see and hear. So it wasn't just hearing them, seeing. Maybe they were jumping up and down. Maybe they were overcome, staggering. But we know the crowd is divided, and some of them hear God being praised in their native languages. What is this? These men are Galileans. How are they all speaking our languages? Because there are Jews there from around the world for the feast. And, and then there are others saying they're drunk. And then Peter gets up to explain. So he does explain what's happening. But his message is not a message about tongues. And his message is not a message about wind and about fire. His message is not a message about the unusual phenomenon. The unusual phenomena were used to draw the people. Yeah. 
They were God's way of getting attention, but that's not what his message was. His message was coming, it was not come and get tongues or, or bring the, the, the wind back to your synagogue. He does talk about the Holy Spirit at the end, but, but notice this. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. So he's explaining what happened. And, and, and he goes on to talk about signs in the heavens that will come. In verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. What does he do? He preaches Jesus. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming, the purpose of the outpouring was to point to Jesus. He sends the Spirit after his resurrection to demonstrate that he's risen from the dead to validate what happened on the cross. So it's, it's not about the manifestation or the outward thing. It's about Jesus. And he, he concludes his message in verse 36 saying, let all the house of Israel know that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made Lord and Messiah. And the people are cut to the heart and say, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. You'll be empowered as well, but you are empowered to make Jesus known. When we read later in, in the book of Acts, a couple of chapters later, after persecution comes, after difficulties come, and, and they realize their, their lives are going to be on the line for the gospel, they pray that God would confirm the word through signs and wonders done in the name of Jesus. And then what does it say in Acts 4.31? When they prayed, the place was shaken, and they spoke the word of God boldly. They're empowered by the Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit to speak the word. Back to the basics. We so often get caught up with secondary things. We so often get all excited about, you could say, the, the gift wrapping on the gift without really recognizing the gift itself. The Holy Spirit visits us to exalt Jesus. The Holy Spirit visits us so we can touch a lost and dying world. He pours things out on us that we could pour them out on others. I mean, picture this. Let's say you have a tremendous burden. You become overwhelmed one day with the issue of children starving in different parts of the world. And you realize, boy, if we could just dig wells so there could be water, there could be irrigation, there could be proper fertilizing of soil and just basic things. If we could get this done, and then, then, then there could be crops and these kids could live. So you get, you get this burden. And, and you get this whole vision, well, okay, if I just could, if I could get a million dollars a year, we could save, that's millions and millions of lives. So God gives you a business plan, and, and you start working this business plan, and God's going to, you know, you need maybe 60,000 a year to live, but God's going to give you a million 60,000. And, and how would you feel, or how would God feel if 10 years later you built a $10 million mansion, right? You, you know, you, you've got Ferraris and Porsches and all of this, and you haven't given a dime to help the starving children. Well, that's not why God gave you the money. Fine, he blesses you with some of it. That's not why you were praying for the money. You were praying for the money so you could have it to give away. It would always grieve me when I'd be at meetings and people were just infinitely soaking and marinating in the spirit of whatever the latest thing, toasting, roasting, whatever the latest thing was, and there was no outreach. There was no burden for the lost. There was no mission move coming out of it. I think, well, yeah, God touches us because he loves us, but he also touches us because there's a dying world out there. He fills us so we can go and pour out what we have on those we don't have. In the around 93, 94, so coming into the mid-90s, that's when there was a, a, a season of refreshing and renewal that began to be poured out. The late 80s was a real time of humbling for, for a lot of the charismatic church, Pentecostal church in America, as we had uh, scandals with, with major leaders, televangelists and things like that, major scandals. It was a real humbling, difficult time. I believe God used that time to get us on our faces not strutting, not boasting, not looking at how great we were, but how needy we were. Getting on our faces, seeking God, crying out. And, and out of that, God began to, to move and stir. Revival had been the consuming theme in my heart for years and years before that. Praying and fasting and longing and groaning. 
And everywhere I preach for years, I wonder, is this the place where God's going to move? Because he poured out his spirit through me in a church I was part of late 80, 82, early 83. And then in the spring of 83, I was finishing my doctoral work at New York University in Semitic languages. Nobody knew me except just a few places I'd preach or minister in the area around us. God moved on me and stirred me and spoke to me. I'd be part of a revival that would touch the world. And it seemed crazy. It seemed completely crazy when he spoke. I mean, I, I was new to travail, even though I was saved in 71, some levels of travail and groaning in the spirit. They were new to me. So here I am in my study. I'm, I'm rolling on the floor, groaning and travailing and weeping. And God says, you're going to be part of a revival that touches the whole world. And the first thought is, you lost your mind, man. You're crazy. You were deceived. But the more I'd seek him, the deeper the burden would get. The, the more I'd seek him, the, the, the more he'd speak to me about revival. So it became a consuming hunger and thirst. And, and then we confirm it along the way, confirm it along the way, confirm it along the way, and connect me with other key men of God and ministries that just deepen the fire and deepen the passion and deepen the faith. So I was consumed with that. Again, writing about revival in 89, the book End of the American Gospel Enterprise was the first I wrote on revival. And, and everywhere I went, I wondered, God, are you going to pour out your spirit here? Is this going to be the place where I just have to stop and stay because the Holy Spirit's poured out? And then I began to, to hear reports about outpouring and the Holy Spirit moving and refreshing and renewal. And then immediately I began to hear reports. It was crazy. It was of the devil. And I thought, this could be the real thing. <laughs> when you get those polar opposite reports, yeah. Arthur Wallace in his book, In the Day of Thy Power, about revival, and, and this was seconded by Duncan Campbell, who was used in the Hebrides revival. Wallace said, if something claims to be a revival and it's not spoken against, check again to see if it's really a revival. And I've said for years, you can have controversy without revival. Uh, you can have, excuse me, uh, controversy without revival, but you cannot have revival without controversy. You don't look for it. You don't manufacture it. That's just what people do in their immaturity. But when God really moves, just like here at Pentecost, there'll be controversy. Just like the ministry of Jesus, Luke 2, when he's prophesied over as a boy, you'll be a sign spoken against. So I began to hear reports about outpouring and renewal and other reports saying, no, it's crazy. It's not of God. So it got my attention. And I visited some of the meetings and I saw, well, God's God is moving. Praise God. But I knew in my heart that what he had promised me was something else. It wasn't to denigrate what was happening. It wasn't to compare. It was just to say, I know, God, you spoke to me about something else. But I also knew this was preparing the way. And this was the beginning. And then the Holy Spirit began to, to be poured out, things in Canada and things in England. And, and they were calling it the blessing in England. The blessing, as the Holy Spirit was touching many churches. And, and I went over to England to preach during this time. It was very shortly before the outpouring began in Brownsville. And God gave me a message moving from the blessing to revival. In the States, we would have said moving from renewal to revival. And, and what I saw was this, that when the Holy Spirit begins to, to move, he always moves in these attention-getting ways, these unusual ways. And again, there's, there's obvious reason for it, because otherwise you, you kind of sleep your way through it. This puts a mark on it. This gets your attention. This says something's happening. You know, we talk about God's suddenlies. Okay, I, this was the day I remember where it was when it happened. It got your attention. It jarred you. Draws people together. The miracles of Jesus were, were, were miracles of compassion, absolutely, and God's love for hurting people, but also ways of getting attention and drawing people to see who Jesus really was. But what happens is when the Holy Spirit begins to move and unusual things happen, you have the crowd divides. One side says, this is the Lord. The other side says, it's not the Lord. And, and there's a joke, this, the seven last words of the religious church, we never did it like this before. <laughs> so God begins to move and, and look at it like a road here. And you got a ditch on one side, a ditch on the other. The ditch on this side is the ditch of traditional religion. We never did it like that before. It's different. We don't accept that. Smith Wigglesworth, known as the Apostle of Faith, who died in 1947, he told the story about in the early days of Pentecost, the early 20th century, with the Pentecostal renewal, that there was a, a boy talking to his dad, and the boy had received the Spirit, was speaking in tongues, 
and the dad in his church didn't believe in it, didn't receive it. And they were, they were driving home, you know, horse and buggy. So it's sitting on the cart, horse pulling it. And the father's explaining to the son, you're, you're just going to have to give this stuff up. He said, you see, our church is established. We've been established in the truth for many years, and we don't believe this. We don't see this in Scripture. We reject this. And, and he said, you know, son, we're established, and that's the reality. You're going to have to get over this. And suddenly the cart just stops. Something's going, what's the matter? Something's wrong. Father says to the son, get out. See what happened to the, to the cart. And the boy sees the wheel is stuck in a deep rut. And he says, Dad, the cart has gotten established. <laughs> so you have that on the one side, traditional religion. It's different. We don't do it like this. You're teaching differently. The whole, we, we're not used to that. That's the ditch on the one side of the road. But then the ditch on the other side of the road is manifestation mania. Superficial sensationalism. That that you were praying for God to come. You're praying for God to touch. You're praying for the hunger of your soul to be realized. You're praying for a fresh baptism of holiness and fire. And then God comes in these unusual ways. And you begin to focus in the unusual ways. You, you begin to have, let, let's have wind meetings, fire meetings, you know, whatever it is, manifestation meetings. And, and look, it's pretty intense when someone you know you know, let's say this, this brother here, you've known him for years, and suddenly when the Holy Spirit touches him, he begins jumping up and down, you know, to the point his head is hitting the ceiling, and woo, and spinning like a top. That's pretty wild. And when you're immature and so on, you're like, put the, hey, brother, why don't you come up and see what the Lord's doing? The next thing, he's <laughs> bouncing all over the building, and people come to watch that. It's like, that's, that's not what it was about. That may have been something happened one time to get attention, but that's not what it was about. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost to point to the risen Jesus. Comes with a message of repent and get right with God and look to the cross. Back to the basics. So we get caught up with the outward things. I mean, I remember praying for people, someone blind, someone deaf, and the power of God would hit them. They'd fall to the ground. I'd say, that's wonderful, but I was praying for them to be healed, not to fall. <laughs> Now, maybe God touches them in other ways. Let, let him be God. I remember one time I was at a, a Messianic conference in 1987 in Atlanta, and we met a mom there with her daughter, and it was, I've never seen a condition like this. She was completely flat and straight. It had been a debilitating condition, and now she was completely flat and, and on a wheelchair, but, but was kind of open so that she could just lay flat. And we were praying she was going to have this major surgery, which was very, very iffy. And even that, even if it succeeded, it might not heal her. So we were just burdened to pray for this young lady. And as we were praying, the Holy Spirit started giving revelation about this demonic stronghold and this power and this thing we we're dealing with and prophetic words for the mom and the daughter and all that. And, and it was wild. It was intense. This is over a period of, of some hours and a couple of days, you know, ministering different times. And I called my wife, Nancy. I said, hon. I'm praying for this gal and the whole story. It's really intense. And the Holy Spirit revealed this and gave us this insight. We're coming against this demonic power. Nancy said, was she healed? Well, no, no, no. But so, so we had, it's like dynamic and powerful intercession. Well, the simple quote, we were praying for her healing. And sometimes we get so caught up in all, all the other stuff, we forget what it's about. Yeah. We forget the whole purpose and why we're here in this world. Yeah. Listen, I've, I've never been taken up to heaven but, but I can tell you, on good foundations in the Bible, heaven's a lot better than here. And, and being, being in the fullness of his presence there is greater than anything we'll ever experience in this world here. We're here because we're on a mission. We're here because we have work to do. We're here because other people don't know the Lord. And this is our time of proving and growth in the midst of testing and pressure to become more like him to prepare us to be with him forever and ever. So you have the one ditch of traditional religion over here. That's not God. We've never seen it like that before. Then you have the other ditch here, superficial sensations and manifestation mania. It's like, man, you guys are just in the flesh. You guys are just religious. You're in the flesh. And then the weirder it gets over here than the ditch over here. That's the devil, man. That's demons. You're demonized. And then over here, you know, you're no longer Pharisees. You're hell-bound hypocrites. And, 
So when I began preaching before Brownsville was the key to avoid the ditches on either side of the road, the ditch of traditional religion and the ditch of manifestation mania. The way to avoid that was obviously you keep your focus on Jesus, you welcome the Holy Spirit, and then you have a simple twofold emphasis, harvest and holiness, harvest and holiness. In other words, preach repentance to the lost, preach repentance to the saved, harvest and holiness. That, that, that is our focus. God's touching us, and we are constantly looking to reach the lost. We're constantly looking to reach those who don't know the Lord. We're constantly going back to the basics. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, how can I serve? How can I touch? How can I be a blessing? How can I make a difference? Lord, who will you put in my path today? Who can we pray for that doesn't know the Lord? What family member? How can we be reaching out? Consumed with that burden. The same burden that drives people to the ends of the earth as missionaries. The same burden that, that drives people to risk their lives for the gospel. To go into countries like North Korea where they realize that they may be tortured to death if, if, if they're found out preaching. They go with a burden to reach the lost. That we carry that. It works out in our own lives, our own families as we're raising our kids, as we're on the job. Lord, here we are. Send us, use us. Not in the sense of a, of a burden that I have to prove something to somebody else or that I have to, you know, check off. I witnessed to three people this week, but just a heart that, that beats with God's heart and that realizes that people don't know the Lord. And, you know, right now we are so politically polarized. I, I mean, it's, and I understand the issues. Of course, I live in the midst of this. I comment on it all the time. But we are so politically polarized that, that when I'll call people to, to pray for, for President Biden, Vice President Harris, I'm, I'm, people say, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather pray for the devil. As we just, we've been so polarized that it's you know, the demons versus this side. No, all lost people, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, everybody lost, everybody needing Jesus. I mean, from the, I understand we vote based on values and convictions and things and we'll come out on different sides of different issues depending on what our emphasis and burden is. I understand all that. And those things do count. They do matter. But God's looking down at a lost America. He's looking down at lost souls, people that need Jesus. And, and they need Jesus in each party equally. And, and the same Jesus that Donald Trump needed is the same Jesus that Joe Biden needs. That we just kind of focus, regain where our emphasis should be. We've gotten so consumed with politics and debate over COVID and mask or no mask, although I see the consensus here. But you're so consumed with all that. It's like, how, how about love God and love your neighbor? How, how about reaching people with the gospel? And, and especially, I'll, I'll say this as, as a white conservative follower of Jesus, we are now better known in a lot of America as Trump people than Jesus people. We have to fix that. We have to fix that. I say that as a Trump voter. We have to fix that. And how do you fix it? By loving your neighbor. How do you fix it? By just being Jesus to them. Be because, look, people are people. And no matter how much political controversy there is, if you can help them in the midst of their need, they're going to see that. And no matter how much debate you've had about issues and what's important and not, and I understand the importance of the elections, yes. Despite all of that, when you just sit down with human beings, especially in the midst of COVID and the fear and the uncertainty and the controversy and, and what's happening in this world and, and then the upheaval with, with protests and riots and so much we've had to work through and so many questions, how do we work together as fellow Americans? People are hurting. People are struggling. We have the answer, not a answer, the answer. The whole reason we're here is to know God and to make him known. The whole reason we're here is to be disciples and make disciples. That's what it boils down to. Major on the majors. There was a, a gal cutting my hair once. It's one of the great clips, places, whatever. And she was from Ireland. And her husband was a soccer coach, or as the rest of the world would call it, football. And she was telling me that she was over in the UK one time. And this team came over from America, teenagers. And she said they were all 
they had the, the best gear. Everything, new Nike this, the shiny sneakers, the cool-looking shorts, the, you know, sporty tops, and, you know, the bags they were carrying. They were first-class slick. And it was an American soccer team that was going to play one of these little local British clubs. And I guess her husband was there, whatever. She told me the story. She said, but they came in. I mean, they were so slick and so cool and had it all together because they had all the gear. And the kids on the British squad, they, were, they had like torn shorts, hand-me-down sneakers, just everything worn out. And uh, the American kids come in and just completely judge them. <laughs> Look at you. And anyway, these, the British kids who've been playing this since they're born beat them like 14 to nothing. I mean, some ridiculous, <laughs> the most ridiculous, humiliating possible score. I mean, in, you know, in soccer, like 3 nothing is a blowout. But it was like, it's complete, humiliating blowout. You realize having all the, out, the gear and all the, it means nothing. Do you have the real goods? Yes. Are you delivering the real goods? Yes. So you pray, you travail, you cry out, you do all that. Then you go reach the lost. You go and touch those that don't know the Lord. And, and, and I know, and we all knew during the midst of the Browns revival, that that was one of the strengths, the ongoing strength that as God poured in, we poured back out. That, that we raised up a ministry school. That was my biggest responsibility in the midst of it. And what God put in my heart early on, as soon as I was there, the very first week I was there, laid that on my heart in terms of the need to train and export. People are touched now, pour it out. God touches you, pour it out. Look, those of you who are blessed financially as givers, God's used you to give and be generous. You know the principle. The more he pours into you, the more you pour out, the more he pours in. It just becomes a cycle of life. You know, it's, it's, it's just like this. Here, use a monetary example. If, if I've got a dollar in my hand and I'm clutching it, you say to me, hey, I, I need a dollar to, to, to pay this thing. Do you have? I said, no, man, I, I can't spare that thing. I'm holding on to that dollar. You don't get it, but you can't put anything in this hand. If I open the hand and you take the dollar, the hand is now open for more to be poured back in. It's the same thing with us spiritually. Give and it shall be given to you. It works in every area of life. So the way to avoid the two ditches, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's always the one that's all about worshiping, honoring him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Welcome the moving of the Holy Spirit, and then keep the emphasis on harvest and holiness. So preaching repentance to the lost and preaching repentance to the saved. That God turns us away from sin. That God turns us to the beauty of holiness. That we pursue him. And, 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 and as we're with him, God, God says in Exodus 25 through Moses, Vasuli Mikdash, have them make for me a sanctuary, so a holy place, and I will dwell in their midst. That God feels at home among us because as far as we're conscious and aware, we've turned from sin, we've been washed and cleansed, and there's an environment where God feels at home in our midst. And when you keep the emphasis in the right place, you can have the falling, the shaking, the unusual manifestations, the tongues, the fire, and it's wonderful and it's glorious and it's beautiful, but the whole emphasis is wonderful. Now let's go touch the world. Wonderful. Now let's present our bodies afresh to God. I didn't witness this, but I heard this story secondhand that every night after the revival in Pensacola, this I witnessed over and again, people would go out to one of the few places that was open late, and sometimes you'd stand online for an hour to get into a Shoney's. That was kind of unusual. <laughs> but people there often still under the power of God, and they're standing there shaking or weeping and Sometimes they actually have someone over their shoulders, you know, carrying the person in just to lay them down on the floor while they, they sat to eat. And Steve Hill used to remind people during the revival, if you're pulling out in the parking lot and hit something, we have no speed bumps. So that's a person. Better, better be careful. Just So I heard the story that John Kilpatrick had related, the pastor, that these two ladies were, were there at Shoney's, and I guess some other folks witnessed it and passed it on to him. And they're shaking under the power of God, you know, because they've been touched. But they treated the, the server, the gal who was taking care of him, just was running around and 
got stuff laid to them, the food came out cold, and they were nasty to her while shaking under the power of God. <laughs> you talk about something abominable in God's sight, something hypocritical. You know, many years ago, I was on my face praying when we lived in Maryland, and Nancy was, was in the backyard doing something needed my help, so the door was open going into the kitchen, and she, she called my name. Hey, uh, could you help me with something? And I didn't know if it was urgent or anything, so I yelled back, I'm praying. Well, she didn't hear that, so she yelled back even louder. Hey, could you help me? So I yelled back, I'm praying. <laughs> and I hear her voice, a lot of good it's doing you. <laughs> If you're really being touched by God, it's going to change you. If, if you're really being touched by God, it's going to lead to repentance and purity and, and, and greater intimacy with him and make you a nicer human being. Let me just say this without going on a political rabbit trail. Nice is nice. You don't have to be nasty all the time. You know, we think now strong is nasty. I'll post stuff like the words of Jesus. Love your enemies. I'm not loving my enemies. That's weak. No, no, no. It takes a lot more strength to love than to be nasty. Harvest in holiness. Back to the basics. Great commission. Think of it. Jesus rises from the dead. He's with his disciples. He's manifesting his glory. He's talking to them about the kingdom. And, and then, how does Matthew end? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, go and put on religious displays. Therefore, go and have manifestation service. No. Go, as you go, make disciples of the nations. And who is he talking to? His disciples. That's what it's all about. Back to the basics. I love being around evangelists because they think of one thing only, and that's winning the lost. And every, everything is, is measured by that, winning the lost. You know, Dan Kalendis joked and said that, that hell for an evangelist is preaching in a big meeting when everybody is saved. <laughs> Heaven is you go there and everybody's lost. It's like wonderful. This is why we're here. Stories told about William Booth, co-founder of the Salvation Army with his wife, Kat. Catherine, and they were passionate soul winners, the early days of the Salvation Army, just ablaze, winning the lost and going around the world, reaching the, the worst of sinners. And, and Booth goes to Australia, and he has his first meeting there in a convention center, and it's packed out, and, and people are thrilled and honored. You know, it's a big journey there, especially before planes and things. William Booth has come to Australia, and he finishes the meeting, and he said, this is not who I came from. This is not who I came for. Where are the prostitutes? Where are the drunkards? Where are the street people? It was a meeting filled with Christians. So they went out on the streets. God brought all those people in and had another meeting. And then Booth was happy. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Many of our congregations go a whole year or longer without seeing a single person come to faith. Go a whole year or longer and no new converts baptized and no new disciples made. Something's wrong with that picture. The vast majority of church growth that we have had in America for the last few decades has been lateral transfer. You know, like the cows eating the grass here and the grass is finished there. They go over here. And, you know, when I, when, when I would have someone come, I'm, I'm not a pastor, but someone would come to our congregation for the first time and they'd say, man, I've been to 20 different churches in the community. Finally, I found the place where I feel at home. I thought, give it a week or two. You'll be somewhere else. There are so many people who don't know the Lord ready to be reached. And then you reach out, and, and, and they don't listen. They don't hear. Well, it drives you to your knees more. Or, or the, you reach out, and they have objections. You don't have answers. Or they're a religious person from this group, or they came out of this culture. And you I say, wow, they're, they're not hearing the message. We're hitting the wall. That drives you to more prayer and more fasting and crying out, God, break through. And then when people start getting saved, it's, it's the most amazing, wonderful thing. Yeah. New souls, new converts, don't know how to testify properly, you know, say it the wrong way, and the whole congregation is kind of laughing as they're like, praise God, it's so wonderful. 
brand new. Think of this. Luke, the fifth chapter. This incredible account. Crowds are so great that for Jesus to teach, he gets out in the boat, pulls away from shore a little bit, and now he can teach everyone. So he finishes teaching, and then he says to Peter, go out into the deep water. Let's do some fishing. Peter says, Lord, we, we fished all night and didn't catch anything. Remember, Peter's a fisherman. These guys know where to fish and when. So they were fishing at the right time, the right place, and they caught nothing. Now he's telling them at the wrong time to go out into the deep water, the wrong place, to catch fish. Nevertheless, master, whatever you say, we'll do it. So they go out to the deep water, and suddenly, you know the story, let down the nets, catch a fish so great that the boat starts to sink. Another boat, other disciples, pulls up next to it. That boat starts to sink from all the fish. I mean, it's completely supernatural. There's no way there could be that many fish. And think, to sink a boat that's made to, to be out on the water, taking in cargo and weight and fish and all that. So they make it back. They make it back to the land. They've got the biggest catch of fish in the history of Galilean fishing. They could be set for some time to come with all of that. And what does Jesus say? Follow me, and I'll teach you how to fish for men. I'll make you fishers of men. And you know what it says? And they left everything and followed him. Wait, wait, all the fish. All the fish. The fish. Peter, you're a fisherman. This is food for your family. This is income for your business. They left everything and followed him. So the miracle drew attention to Jesus. The miracle was not the thing in itself, like the the miracle of provision, feeding the 5,000. That fed the 5,000, but then glorified him. Here, this was just, I'm sure someone else would get the fish, I assume. Actually, we don't know. Maybe God sent them back out. Who knows? Maybe it's like, good job, boys. Swim away. That's your reward. We don't know, so why speculate? Yeah, if you want to write a doctoral dissertation, what happened to the fish? And other New Testament mysteries. But here's the thing. The catching of the fish was to draw their attention to Jesus and who he really was, and then to give them the vision to go and catch men, catch souls, catch people. That's what you're here to do. That's what your mission is. And then think of it, Pentecost, Shavuot that we just read, 3,000 saved in one day. It's like, yeah, whatever happened on that boat with the fish is now happening with people. And one of our grads who serves as a missionary in northern Iraq, they have an amazing team there. They lead Mesopotamia House of Prayer. How's that for a name? They're seeing Muslims coming to faith on a regular basis. And, and shortly after they got there to northern Iraq, the war happened in Syria, the civil war. So suddenly hundreds of thousands of refugees pouring out. So they've got a massive amount of refugees literally in their backyard and, and ministering to them and, and, and nominal Christians and Muslims and others just coming to faith. And they're just there. They've lost everything. Some sick, some fearful, unsettled. So an amazing harvest field, amazing opportunity. And, and this grad, that one of the team leaders, shared that simple truth. Jesus said, because you have a similar account where the, the apostles leave everything, Matthew 4, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He said, notice he didn't say, follow me, I'll make you apostles or prophets or evangelists or pastors and teachers. I'll make you fishers of men. That's the universal calling for all of us. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, He says, do the work of an evangelist. That wasn't his primary calling. Timothy, by calling, was not an evangelist, but called to do the work of an evangelist because that's what we do. And when you do surveys, let's say we had a crowd of of multiplied thousands here. You do a survey and say, how many of you came to faith through someone handing you like a track or a brochure? That was done much more in the past. You get, you know, here and there a few people. How many of you came to faith through watching Christian TV? And you got a handful here and there. And I'll tell you, you know, maybe you have three people raise their hands, and I'll tell them, you must be very valuable to God because there was millions and millions and millions of dollars spent to get to you. 
And then, you know, how many of you got saved through going to an evangelistic meeting? And, you know, a few more hands for that. How many of you got saved just a sovereign visitation, reading the Bible? You only have more hands for that than the Christian TV one. But then you ask, how many of you got saved through the witness of a friend or family member or coworker? It's almost everybody. It's almost everybody. The people who led me to the Lord were the guys I played in the band with. We got high together and did drugs together and did crazy things together. And then God started to work in their lives. They started to talk to me. God started to work in my life. And then the people in the church ministered as we, we, as we came about. But this is how it's going to be. And, and, and if, we'll, if we'll have that holy jealousy that something's just not right if, if people aren't hearing the gospel, that something's just not right if people aren't being born again, God will honor that. God will honor that. In the summer of... 1973, graduated from college, and I was, excuse me, graduated from high school and was about to start college, but I had that summer to work beforehand. And my dad had different connections with people in the county and said, hey, I can get you this job here. It's working at the beach, just cleaning up the beach every day. So, great. It's going to be a full-time job over the summer before I start college. And we would, again, just clean up the beach. I ended up on the early morning shift. So you know, you'd go around, you've got all the mess from the day before and a lot of people smoking cigarettes more than. And so you'd walk around and pick up the cigarettes or the tide come in, you got all, you know, seaweed and dead eels and you pick this stuff up and then through the day do other cleanup or organizing things. That was it. That was the job. And we, and we have what was called an idiot stick for whatever reason had that name. So it had a handle on it. It, it had a kind of dull point at the end, so you could, like, just stick it through some things. And then a, a clasp, so you could pick stuff up. So I set, at that time, it was the world record. I, well, unofficial world, the record on our beach anyway, which as far as I knew was the world record, which was picking up the most cigarettes at one time, cigarette butts. Because you could, I'm going somewhere with the story, trust me. <laughs> You, you'd pick up these cigarette butts, and so you'd get it, and now you have one. But if you could figure out how to do it, you could move to the next, and now get two. And so I got to, like, 22 or 23. It was, it, trust me, it was amazing. It was amazing. I can't say it was a miracle, but it was amazing. So I actually was walking around the beach to show her, look, could you believe this? Because we were, like, the first time we got, like, three or four, it was amazing. But just figuring out how to keep getting them and pop it up and... So now it's towards the end of the summer. The beach is kind of empty. But it's yellow jacket season. So the yellow jackets have been pouring in. And we got pretty much nothing to do walking around the beach. And the yellow jackets were really attracted to the garbage cans because that's where people threw their, their soda and things like that and the sweet things. So they're attracted to that. So the guys decide they're going to see if they can kill the yellow jackets with idiot sticks. So they're, tr they're, they're, try they're, they're holding the stick up and grabbing the handle to try to catch the thing. And then others are trying to spear the yellow jacket. I, I mean, the, the tip must have been a little thinner than my pinky. I mean, it wasn't some tiny dart thing. It was, it was pretty, pretty thick. And, and they're, they're literally trying to spear, as the yellow jackets are, are going by the, um, the garbage can, trying to spear it with the idiot stick. And I'm, I'm kind of hanging out with them, and I look up and see from a distance one of the supervisors that we called the Count, because he looked like Count Dracula. He had this you know, jet black hair, comb back. So I see the Count just walking towards us, so I just kind of casually start to walk away. And when I get at a distance, you can't see the yellow jackets at all. All you see is people throwing things. That's all you can see. So he sees me at a distance from them, and he yells out, Brown, what are they doing? And that's when I look up, and sure, there's the idiot sticking. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that same voice over the years as we're going on with all of our crazy, silly, idiotic stuff in church and neglecting the lost and neglecting the needy and, and, and failing to major on the majors, hearing God say, what are they doing? What's this all about? Yeah. If, if, if your life's not changed and you're not going and changing others, 
What's the use of all the shouting and jumping and shaking and frothing and rolling on the floor or whatever? Hey, hey, listen, when the power of God dramatically touches somebody and they're dramatically set free and, and it comes with the most unusual, you know, maybe a major de- deliverance from demons and something very intense and very dramatic and they're set free, that's amazing. And you fall on your face and worship God. But if you just have a big outward display and no change, what's the use of it? One, one, one night during the revival, there was a man visiting, Jewish man, basically an atheist. He had kind of a fixation with death and dying. He had done a, a book of, of pictures that he had taken showing different aspects of death and dying around America and published this. And he was visiting the revival. I don't know how he got there. And he sat through the whole service. Nothing happened outwardly. Sat through Steve Hill's message. Nothing happened outwardly. Sat through the altar call. Nothing happened outwardly. And finally, we're, it's prayer time. We're laying hands on people who want prayer. And a friend of mine is there and knew him and said, would you like prayer? Sure, sure. So I prayed for him. Next thing, the Holy Spirit falls on him. He falls to the ground weeping. Remember, Jewish atheist falls to the ground weeping and begins crying out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then he pauses. But I don't believe in Jesus. (laughs) This repeats itself probably about three times, Jesus, Jesus, but I don't believe in Jesus. And then finally, the last time, Jesus, 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 he gets wonderfully born again. He ends up putting together a photo book of people transformed through the revival. This award-winning book. Hey, all the falling, all the shaking, all the crying, God was touching him. And the result was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But if someone just comes for the 50th time to fall and shake, it's like, tell you what, how about take a break on that and go knocking on doors in your neighborhood, share the good news. How about finding out if somebody in the community could need some help and loving your neighbor? How about being nice to your kids? If, If we will major on the majors we'll see all kinds of other amazing things happen. And God will keep pouring in because we're pouring out. We would have as many as 300 students out on the street because the school was large and almost 1,200 full-time students at the the largest. We would have as many as 300 students on the streets on the weekend sharing the gospel in Pensacola. And many people were churched raised in various religious traditions, and you can't lose your salvation. So they'd be in the bar, sleeping with their girlfriend, and high on drugs and whatever, and, and you talk to them about Jesus, and they said, no, I'm already saved. And so you had to get through a lot to really have them encounter God. But we'd have these amazing stories, people saved on the streets. You know, one guy came out of a bar, practicing homosexual and drug dealer, and on the spot got radically born again, set free, came to the school, has been doing missions work in Mexico for many years now. I mean, we saw that all the time, but we were, we were burning for it. Yeah. And that's why a missions movement was, was birthed out of the school, and the school was birthed out of revival because people are being touched, and okay, now what? Now what do we do? So I, I want to encourage you that, that really the most sacred ministries you can engage in I'm sure you could list others, but no two more sacred than than the ministry of prayer and intercession. So crying out to God, asking God to move and touch and be merciful and and, and standing in the gap to stop destruction from coming and reaching the lost. And and if if, if you just do that, you say, hey, you know, God has not made us an evangelism center and so on. You reach the lost and send them to other places to get disciples, you know, whatever. Or you make disciples and multiply churches, however God moves. But if you will share God's heart, he will pour in grace. And, and if, if you will major on the things that are important to him, you'll see his backing. And that's why night after night after night after night for years, the Holy Spirit would be mightily poured out. Yes, on believers who are hungry and thirsty and they'd be touched and, and God always values that. But once you're touched, 
When that first love is back, as we, we prayed for that earlier, when that first love is back, it's going to translate into love for the lost. I'll close here in a moment, but there are lots of really neat things I've gotten to do and amazing opportunities and, and all kinds of settings that are, that are extraordinary and that when I first got saved, I never would have imagined that I'd be in them. But to this moment, there's nothing more sacred than leading someone to Jesus. There's no holier, more anointed, powerful, incredible ministry than leading someone to the Lord. And, and, that, and every one of us can be involved on some level. You, can, you know, if, if you're shut in at home, just watching at home, you can be praying for the harvest. You can be praying for, for those that are out doing the work. I shared this story yesterday. Let me share it again quickly. There's a, a book, a classic book on prayer by a Scandinavian teacher, uh, Halsby. And in it, I, I read it while I was on the road ministering in England, somebody's home in 87. I picked up the book while I was there and read it, and this story stuck with me. There was a, a country girl, Bolette Henderley, otherwise unknown, no ministry, no, no public anything. And in prayer one day, she distinctly saw a vision of a prisoner. She, she saw him. She saw his form. She saw his face. A prisoner, convict, in jail. And God said to her, called her to pray for him and said, if you don't, he will be just like the other prisoners. Pray for him. God had called him. So for years, in obedience to this vision, she travailed in prayer. She wrestled in prayer for his soul. She wept for him for years. And she would keep looking for reports. Is there some former convict who's now preaching? Is there this? And it was never him. It was never the one she saw. So some time has gone by, and she hears that this famous evangelist is coming to speak. So she, she goes to the meeting and looks, and that, that's the man. He had become one of the most prominent Norwegian evangelists. And everyone knew his name. No one knew her name. But she had the divine assignment to pray for him. And, and on that day, she may get a greater reward than he does. Let God give you his heart for a lost and dying world. Look, Jesus died for those very people. And that's who all of us were before God's mercy was poured out on us. And ultimately, you think forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, the one thing you bring with us, we, we can bring with us is souls, other people, saved and discipled. And then this is how the bride is not just a beautiful bride, but a bride from every tongue and nation and kingdom. And as I've had the joy of, of ministering around the world, been outside the U.S. probably about 200 times, been to countries like India 27 times and just seen the devotion I was there one time speaking to a few hundred pastors and church planters, and, and I said, how many of you have been physically attacked for your faith? Not, not verbally attacked only, but physically attacked for your faith. And probably about three-quarters of them raised their hands. But they raised their hands like I was saying, how many of you had breakfast this week? It's like, it's no big deal. Yeah, we get beaten. We get attacked. Some of us get killed. But it's for the gospel. It's for souls. That's why we're here. So as God continues to pour out a spirit of, of renewal and revival and hunger and thirst in your heart, major on the majors. Love God, love your neighbor. Be a disciple, make a disciple. And it, it, it may be years of prayer and, and witnessing before this one comes or that one comes. Some of the greatest missionaries of all time was seven years before they saw a single convert. And, and, and they lost family members dying and the tropical climates and other things, and they just stayed and persevered. And, and then ultimately, thousands that led to millions coming to faith. David Livingston once said that the day will come in Africa where thousands of people will be saved in a single day. And he said, when that happens, let them not forget those of us who labored with tears for years without seeing a single convert. So we prepare the way. We see it in Jewish ministry, the great challenges of Jewish ministry. One man now on fire, serving God, actively reaching other Jewish people with the gospel, uh, ultra-Orthodox Jewish man, uh, 25 years, 25 years to see him come in. Wow. 25 years. Wow. It's every time I hear from him, it's just 
when I get a text from him, it's just it's this joy. His his 25 years of prayer and tears and reaching out, and, and here he is, solid, on fire. And then when God begins to move, you just it, it gets contagious. Because an unsaved person, then they bring their other family members. And then the other family members bring their friends, and then this one brings that one. And before you know it, the church is revitalized. So God didn't send me here with an esoteric message or 11 tips to being slain in the spirit in a deeper dimension. <laughs> but in the midst of your hungry hearts to make this simple deposit, this is the key to go deeper. Harvest and holiness. Preach repentance to the saved and to the lost. Back to the basics. Go and make disciples. Follow me, Jesus says to each of us. I'll make you fishers of men and women. So let me pray for all of you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you for this flock. I thank you for the leadership. I thank you for all those visiting, those watching. Lord, you're doing something here. You sent me here to encourage them in their hunger and thirst that you respond to hunger and thirst. May a cry for the lost rise like never before. May a burden for the lost rise like never before. May, may a vision to touch a lost and dying world be all-consuming. And, and, and may the missions call here and missionaries sent out. Lord, may it be that from here, missionaries will go to the ends of the earth. Lord, that's your heart. And right here in our community, Lord, everyone here knows someone that's not saved, a family member, a friend, a co-worker. Lord, give specific burdens. Give specific guidelines. May we not do this out of a religious burden where we're going to win brownie points by working harder, but out of a love for you and a love for the lost. Put that in our hearts. Give us a compassion for those who are blind and don't know you. Some of the ones we wouldn't even think of talking to because they seem so hard. Give us a vision for who you want them to be. And may there be a great outpouring of your spirit for the salvation of the lost, a great heart for the holiness of the bride, Lord, may disciples be made on a daily basis in this region. And Lord, every church, every congregation, hungry and thirsty for you, renew their heart for the lost. And throughout America, Lord, as, as we've made a mess of so many things, and sometimes in our best efforts just made a mess of so many things, bring us back to the basics. Loving you, loving our neighbor, may we be known for that. May we be known for our love for one another and for the lost. Our love above all for Jesus. May it be seen and known. We ask it in his name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I'll turn things back over to Pastor Gio. Remember, if you can stand with us, uh, fill out those cards, do it online. It would be a real blessing. And you'll be hearing from us as you do. Thanks so much. God bless you. Wow. Thank you guys so much for joining us for conference. I do want to say the white card. Take the white card. The white card. I'm also going to have some ushers. Can I get a couple guys in the back? If you can't give, if you just have cash, you don't know how to give, I'm going to have them standing in the back. It will all go to Dr. Michael Brown. So if you want to give on the way out, I'll have some guys in the back with buckets. There's a little black box in the back. I want to encourage you to give. We want to thank you for joining us for Awakening. It was an incredible... Wow. Yeah. I pray, I pray that God that God did something significant in you and that something that was what we needed to hear today. There was a lot of stuff that went on, a lot of, you know, it was ever when Corey was here, it was glory and fire. And we needed to seal that with the remembrance of why we were planted in this community. Amen. Amen. I want to end. I really felt this. Can you just give me one more minute? I, I really want to come into agreement with what God did this weekend and seal it. Can we do that together? I'm going to have my spiritual father come up, and I'm just going to have him pray as a covering of this house, and we're just going to come into agreement. Can you do that for us, Pastor Len? I, I just want us to come into agreement and just see what was done this weekend. It's important. So we'll all come into agreement together, okay? begins with Jesus. Yeah. Everything in the middle is Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. Yeah. Abide is Jesus. Yeah. Geo is Jesus.
Let each person here be Jesus. Father, last night at 3 a.m., I sent a text to my family, and I said these words. It doesn't matter what you say you believe if you don't act like Jesus and treat other people like Jesus. It just doesn't matter. Father, let's not just call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, Christ-like. Let's be like Jesus. Yes. Let's be Christians. Yes. So we receive this challenge, this reminder yes. that we represent you, Jesus, as your ambassador. And that people aren't going to see you if we don't display you. But we don't do that through religion, through rules. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we receive right now, Father, fresh filling. We receive your anointing all over again. Fill us, Lord. Take over. Let there be a holy takeover right now so that Jesus gets out of us. Amen and amen. Wow. Bless you guys. The guys couple of my guys in the back with the buckets, please. On your way out, if you have to give, give cash, give, check, whatever you got to do, and we'll give it all to them. Bless you guys. If you have kids next door, please go grab them, relieve them. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Burning Hearts, 1030 a.m. right here.